Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to, the way Pastor Jeff explained this uh, last week or so, we shift around, the elders shift around and have times of of speaking, and we kind of in our meetings will say, hey, I'm kind of working on this, and, you know, fit me in wherever it looks good, and then uh, that that gets done. Uh, And so we were, I was praying uh, several months back at the beginning of summer about the book of Philippians, and I thought that that might be a good place to do a, a sermon uh, series. And it was interesting that as, as we got closer to the dates on actually doing that, that our ladies are actually doing that in their Bible study as well. No coordination of that at all. It kind of was a secret. We were working on Philippians. And, uh, but um, I'm excited that what we talk about today is also being reviewed and studied by our, our ladies as well. So I only ask one, one thing from our ladies is, Please don't be too hard on me, okay, in, in, in your critique of the sermon. I know you guys are probably ahead of me. I think you're in chapter 2, so just uh, bear with me. I am a, I'm a simple servant here, so. Uh, but uh, we, are, uh, we are thankful that God does things like that where uh, he, will, he will guide us in directions on studying his word. And one of the things that I want us to focus on, it's what I titled my message this morning, is Partners in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Partners in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's... In Philippians chapter 1, we've got, it's a long chapter, it's about 30 verses, we've already read some of it, and uh, so I'll, read, I'll be reading sporadically, I won't be reading the entire 30 verses since we've already run, uh, read some of that, but um, I'm excited about this, and, and I wanted to give you a little background so that you have an idea of the significance of this letter and how he was relating to the Philippians, because as, as, we, as we read that, it sounds like, wow, Paul really loves these people. I mean, this, this letter is, he just puts it all out there about his, his feelings and his connection and his love for the, the Philippian church. So the Philippian, uh, the city of Philippi was founded by Philip II of Macedon as a Greek city. He, uh, interesting enough, was the, uh, the father of Alexander the Great, and uh, it was founded as a Greek colony. Well, the Romans conquered it in uh, 167 BC, made it part of their Macedonian province, and uh, it was a very important city for commerce, but something that's unique and interesting to us was this, is, this area is, is considered the first kind of European, true European area, Western European area, where the gospel is brought in. It's very, very pagan and uh, because of its Greek background and uh, the Romans uh, weren't all that inventive about their whole God structure. They just kind of took the Greeks and just kind of gave it new names. But uh, they, they had a very entrenched uh, religious system and, like, like many religious systems, businesses that fed off of that. So there were people who were making money off paganism, off the occult, and so forth in that city. And uh, so Paul goes there, but he doesn't just go there randomly. He has a vision, and in this vision he sees a man of Macedonia, and that man is calling him, and he says, come over and help us. 
And so this becomes part of the impetus of Paul's second missionary journey when he first goes to Philippi, is, is a divine calling to go to this place. I think that's a very interesting thing. Uh, and so you wonder what was going through the mind of Paul. Maybe you're thinking, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk. God's called me over there to, 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 to Philippi. He's called me there. There's already someone over there saying, come help us. There must, things just, the ball must be rolling over there. Now, I'm just making that up. Paul didn't actually say that or write that anywhere. But you wonder from a human perspective, what goes through your mind when, you know, as you're an apostle and you have a vision that says, come over to this area and start working. This area needs help. So he does that. He plans his trip. He takes Silas with him and also Timothy and some others. And um, they go. And, and they, they initially have tremendous success. So, so even if that thought uh, actually were a real thought that any of them entertained, they actually experienced, right? Something good was happening. Lydia is, is, you know, becomes a convert, and, and, and then they, they have this slave girl that's following them around. This is in Acts chapter 16, by the way, if you want to read the narrative later. And she's, she's interrupting kind of what they're doing. And so Paul uh, perceives she is possessed of a demon. He casts the demon out of her, and uh, apparently she was being used by people uh, to tell fortunes, and uh, she became a convert and, and lost her powers of fortune telling. And so uh, the people who owned her were very uh, angry and furious at Paul and his group and decided to make trouble for them. So they had them beaten and cast into prison. This is, this is just right there. And, you know, you probably, most of you know the story well. Paul and Silas, the, 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 they're beaten. They they're actually were beaten. They were singled out of the group. All of the group wasn't beaten. They were singled out because they were Jews. Now, does that sound we're bringing in customs contrary to what was acceptable in that part of the world? Now, does that sound familiar to you about a lot of the divisions that go on in our country today? Bringing ideas in that other peoples don't like bringing ideas in that fundamentally have a perhaps a Christian worldview, and these are rejected. We shouldn't feel like this is new. We shouldn't feel, we shouldn't get like a persecution complex and feel like, woe is, you know, woe, woe are us as American Christians. The world has been experiencing persecution for the name of Christ for centuries, for thousands of years. And so, what turned out to be a really energizing start now starts to run into some problems and difficulties. Nothing that's going good is ever going to avoid opposition. It just isn't. That includes our own church. We, we remarked that God has blessed us and that since when we started, uh, you know, before the, the pandemic, uh, very, very small group. And during the pandemic, as we're meeting outside in lawn chairs, the Lord is adding to the church. Well, that's a good thing, but there's always going to be opposition that follows that. So part of what I want us to think about today is not to have a, a flinching, you know, develop a flinch, like, ooh, something bad's coming. But I want us to kind of have the right kind of mindset as we continue to serve one another, love one another, and, and, and just worship our God in this place and, and share the good news of Christ. I want us to have a right outlook and understand the opposition to the gospel, the opposition to the church has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. Even when God says, go over here and help these people, 
Opposition is waiting for their party to arrive. Isn't that something? So you think, well, why didn't God just like, strike them all dead? Why doesn't he just like, clear out all the oppositions? Ah, we're going to look at that today. And maybe we can uncover some of the reasons, some of the work that God has in us facing difficulty and what he wants us to do, what he wants us to learn from that. So the letter that we have is, is not like right after Paul's visit. The letter is thought to be somewhere around when Paul was imprisoned either at Caesarea or at Rome. Tradition says Rome, but there are others that argue that he was imprisoned slightly earlier. Paul had already revisited the city of Philippi on his third missionary journey and was writing them this letter because they were ministering to him in his affliction. So, I mean, that, that means, when I say that, I mean, he was, he was helping them. The, the church was helping him financially. They were, they were ministering to him and, and trying to, uh, to stand up for him and stand up for the cause of the gospel. So, he has a, this great phrase in here that I just, to me, it just makes the whole chapter, even though there are a lot of great famous phrases in this first chapter, right? This one is a fabulous one because it, it, it characterizes the relationship not only that the Philippian Christians had with Paul, but that they had with each other. And we find that um, in uh, verse, number, verse number five, he says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's writing to them, and this, this notion of a partnership is established in the letter. And I love the fact that he says it was, this partnership started from the very beginning. Because Paul was in prison while he was there founding the, founding the church. This started off way back then and it just kept, it continued. So the first thing we see actually is in verse uh, number one as Paul is, is introducing the letter. And he says it's to the, all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. And it also references uh, the overseers or the bishops and the deacons, which are the two offices of leadership uh, in the New Testament church. But this phrase, in Christ Jesus, speaks to the union that we have in Christ through uh, conversion and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have a union with each other. So it's kind of contrary as we, and I've tried to decrease my consumption of news significantly by like every day looking at it to like looking at it once every couple of weeks. Uh, it's just become so toxic that it just... I just prefer to just get my news like fourth and fifth hand after it's been kind of uh, milded down by everyone around me and, and not read the, the vitriolic uh, prose of those who are putting out the news these days. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of people vested around, not only in the United States but around the world in dividing people into small groups. And yeah, I won't go into a, my political rationale or my idea as to why I think they're doing that. Uh, because there's plenty of stuff out there to, to consume, uh, if you want to understand that. But my point is this, that's not what God wants us to do. It's the complete opposite of what God wants us to do. And he's given us a supernatural way and means of doing that. And that is through our union with Christ. Our union with Christ of believers all over the world, every country. Union with Christ in countries that don't even speak our language. We would have to have somebody help us understand them. They're still in union with Christ when they become converted. Isn't that awesome? The Holy Spirit comes into them, and it doesn't matter whether they're Asian or African or, or North American. It just doesn't matter. 
what part of the world they come from. When they're converted, when their heart is softened to hear the gospel, they repent of their sins and believe the Holy Spirit the, the Bible promises that the, the conversion process that is begun by the Holy Spirit is re- also represents a permanent indwelling. The Holy Spirit stays. He's there. He takes up residence in that person's life. And God has also given us a church. That church looks and sounds a little different from country to country. But it's the same church. It's the church that worships Jesus Christ. It's the church that uses the word of God to guide it in, in, in what is right and, and what is the, the, the most important thing that we should do. So Paul brings up in the passage in verses 3 and 5, he fleshes out this concept of faithful partners in the gospel ministry and, and that uses that remark from the first day until now. But also, there's a, there's a, the, 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 the third thing I wanted to point out in this partnership uh, or the, the, the primary part I wanted to point out in this is that there's a cause of rejoicing. And this is, we see this in verses 1 through 11 as he approaches the introduction of the passage, that it's a cause for rejoicing. We're united in Christ. Not only we're united in Christ, we're in this together. We have a ministry together. We're partners not only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only union with Christ uh, through the new birth, but also we're in a partnership of the gospel. It's the message. So it's, although churches get involved in a lot of different things, the Great Commission is very narrow. The Great Commission is make, make disciples. Take the gospel to all the world, make disciples. That is the Great Commission. That is the mission of the church. Churches do a lot of different things, but really and truly, they need to conform all of those things with the thought process of how is this going to make disciples? How is this going to take the gospel forward? And so... There's an encouragement in a time of difficulty. And there's an encouragement because of their behavior that, that they are converted. Paul says he's convinced of this. Because of the way they're living, because of the way they're ministering to him and partnering with him in the gospel, they're convinced that God that began a good work in them is going to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. When the Lord comes back and we get the full inheritance, he's telling the, the, the Christians at Philippi, you just keep at it. Keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be complete. I'm convinced of it. I think that's a good thing for us as believers to remind ourselves of every day, especially when we run into difficulty. I remember when our daughter was a, a baby and struggling for life at Eggleston, um, I got up every morning and I said to myself, everything that God does is right. I had to approach the day that way. Sometimes our emotions get so great because of the conflict we're in that it's difficult for us to go to God. Start your day off with something very basic and simple. Everything, everything that the Lord our God does is right. No matter how it seems on the outside, it's right. And if we approach the day with that, then we're open then to see how the hell God is is working in the midst of a difficult situation. Paul's in prison. Whether he's in Philippi or Rome is not the point. The point is he's in prison. He's in prison for the gospel. He's not in prison for robbing a bank. He's in prison for the gospel. And anyone back then who associated with someone 
in prison was really putting themselves in significant jeopardy. Remember, Rome is a totalitarian dictatorship. This is, this is not a smart thing to do if you want to go below the radar and stay out of trouble. And unfortunately, that is a strong temptation that human beings have. I would say Americans have a very strong temptation to do that. Do we not? We don't want, we don't want to make any waves. We want to just keep enjoying. We don't want our life to change. We want everything to be exactly the way it is or better. We'll get, to, we'll get back to that in a minute, but I want us to think about that concept because as we read the scriptures, these things don't apply only to the ancient people to which they were originally written. They apply to us today. It applies to us. We are, everyone in this room, we're in union with Christ. It's a cause for rejoicing, is it not? And we are partners in the gospel. As you sit, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a partner in the gospel. You say, well, yeah, my personality, it has nothing to do with your personality. Doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. Doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, or in between. Just doesn't matter. You are in a partnership through union with Christ to share the gospel, and we should rejoice in that. What will God do with our church? What will he do? It's exciting to know our God is fighting for us. Difficulty, opposition will be there. It will not matter. God's love equips us to discern the truth. Charles Spurgeon used a phrase as it relates to discernment. It, discernment is not discerning truth from, from, the, from a lie. He said truth is discerning truth from almost truth. It's a great quote. Truth from almost truth. So if someone says, worship the Lord your God, worship Jesus Christ, and then someone says, no, you should bow down and worship an idol, we would go, that's obviously a lie, right? That's not what gets us. We, we get got with these almost truths. These are the ones that get us off the track in terms of our life and our mission together as a Christian people. Gets us off the track. Supporting political American, American political leaders is not part of the gospel. It's just not. I love being American. But the fact of the matter is, if I had to choose, if America made me choose between Christianity and being an American, I would choose Christianity. I don't have a choice. I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm in union with Christ. The deal's done. It's supernatural. It's not a choice I made that I could discard. It's something God has done in me. He's made me a new creation. And he's made you a new creation too if you're in Christ. We need to be careful about our sense of alliance. God wants us to be partners in the gospel. Anything that gets in the way of that can become a difficulty in our life and we need to address it with wisdom. This issue of the truth is a hard one these days. When you have people that just, their whole mission in life is to lie with every breath they take. And I've thought about this a lot and, and complained with everybody else about it, but the fact of the matter is, has that ever been any different, ever? The people that accused Paul when he was at Philippi, were they telling the truth about him? No, they were lying about him. Those that accused Christ and, and made sure that he got to the cross, 
Were they telling the truth? Nope, they were liars and they had false witnesses. This has always been true. That's what the lost world is going to do. God's called us to discern the truth and he wants us to be in our Bibles, in our word, and in the word of God, and he wants us to be gentle with each other. I love the fact that that what preceding the word discernment is love. God wants us to love each other first. And then he wants us to practice discernment by sticking to the scriptures and then being patient with one another. Being patient. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. This is from the passage in verses 8 through 10. This, this admonition for us to be in God's word and to, and to be discerning and to pray for discernment and to, and to, to practice right living. All these things have a, have a reason. There's a reason and a purpose for those things. Be careful of the almost truths. They're very dangerous. So not only does the partnership, is it a great cause for rejoicing because of our union with Christ and our mission that we have together in this, this task we have of learning about the Lord and learning about our Christian walk. Also, it advances the gospel. It advances the gospel. The scripture says in verses 12 and 13, I'm, I'm doing a subquote here, it says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. Paul is saying, listen, this didn't happen in a closet. This is a public event. Everybody's talking about it. Have you ever thought about the fact that the greatest thing in the world would be if Christians in America became the primary target? What if Christians became the primary target by every ism that resides in the United States? Nick, you're thinking, no, I don't think I would like that. <laughs> I don't think I would like that either. But I want you to think about that. Where will we be in the constant buzz of news feed? Yeah, George, but they're going to, Brother George, they're going to be saying all kinds of terrible things about Christianity and about Christians. Uh-huh. Yeah. They've been doing that for thousands of years. And in the face of that, what happens? The gospel advances. The gospel advances. It is an unstoppable force because it's not driven by human beings. It's driven by the Lord our God. You know what the Romans eventually did? They eventually took their paganism and Christianized it. It's like, well, if you can't beat them, I guess we'll join them. It's an unstoppable force. Does that give you confidence? Think about it. Everybody thinks they can stop it. Do you know that people today think that they can crush Christianity? Today, in the modern era, in spite of all the history, they still think they can crush it. They can't. It's not verbosity on my part or, 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 or being, you know, uh, uh, braggadocious. It's, it, it, it's not that. It's just that this is supernatural. They can't stop it because God is at work. And our God is sovereign. He created the world. He created men. He moves kings here and there at his will. And if he does that for kings, he's doing that to us too. Maybe the reason why you're sitting in the pew right now. I know it is for our family. 
God been dealing in my heart for a while. What are you going to do with the last part of your life? The last part of your life. How are you going to use the time? It's a sobering thought. You think, well, you know, George, if you really want to live like a millionaire, you better get back on that airplane and keep traveling. And we do have to earn a living. I'm not mocking that. What I'm saying, though, is the world only thinks about money. That's the only thing that enters their mind. But God has something unique for you to do at this stage of your life. Doesn't matter how old you are. We just had an age-graded stand-up, right? It doesn't matter. God has his designs on your life. His design and his mission is our mission, and that's to advance the gospel. Look at verse number 14. Verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Without fear. Courage and boldness to stand for biblical and truth, for, to stand for biblical truth, inspires others to do the same. We're really not inspired by, by people who want to give in, are we? Imagine you're in a huddle, you know, the football team. You're at the, you're at the 15-yard line. There's like 10, 15 seconds left. This, this may be the last play. The quarterback comes in. He goes, they got a great defense. I don't know. We got 15 seconds left. We're all tired. I'm exhausted. I could barely even remember what the next play is. What would all the players be wanting to do? Be like, cast him out. He's a terrible leader, right? We don't want leaders like that. If we don't want leaders like that in a football huddle, we certainly don't want leaders like that in our homes, in our churches, and in our forms of government. We want leaders that will inspire. But it's not just words that inspire. Action in the face of difficulty inspires. Action in the face of difficulty. What is demoralizing for a church? They're put under pressure or they're put under persecution and people begin to fragment and collapse. Is that inspiring? It's not. That's not what God wants for me or for you. He wants us to read Philippians and see something that's occurring in the lives of these men and women. And the interesting thing is this phrase... um, when we look at this phrase, uh, brothers, it actually is a word that means sibling. It's referring to male and female. Male and female. You want to know the most tenacious man in the world? The one that has the most tenacious wife. You have a man and a woman Their shoulders side by side, their face intent on moving towards a goal. They're a hard couple to stop. This is not just a male thing. It's a male and female thing. We're all tempted to feel fear. And to preach a sermon to act like fear is not part of the human experience is is not real. It is. It is what... It's that thing that makes us afraid to push forward. But I just believe that God that called Paul to Macedonia also is calling people in our church to move forward. I believe that's true. 
What are the consequences of that? Philippi tells us a story. The consequences are, if I obey the Lord and I do what God is calling me to do, without fear, I inspire others to do the same thing. What kind of person are you going to be? Because if you're, if you're inspired by somebody else and you suppress that and go, yeah, but that's too dangerous. You see the catalyst is one, tune, tune, tune. It's a chain reaction. It's us inspiring each other. It's a partnership, is it not? It's a par- we need each other. I wish you guys could see some of our, our, our elders and deacons meetings. We all kind of come in, we're, we're grateful to see each other, but we're all kind of dragging a little bit, we're all tired. By the end of the meeting, everyone is up because we're inspiring each other. We need each other. Wives, your husband needs you. Husbands, your wife needs you. Your children need you. The families together need each other. That's why we do small groups. That's why we have Sunday school. That's why we have these smaller meetings. That's why we do prayer meetings. And ladies' Bible study. We do all these things so we can connect with each other and inspire each other. For what end? Advance the gospel. Advance the gospel. The gospel message is preeminent over the motive of the messenger. In verses 15 through 18, Paul moves into this this discussion of opposition. There's opposition there. And it seems to indicate that some people are have false motives or or weak motives as to why that they're sharing the gospel. And Paul even says, they're they're really doing it to make it harder on me. But notice what he says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Don't you love that? He's He's in prison. People are preaching the gospel in truth. But there's also people preaching the gospel in a way to try to make it hard on Paul. You know what Paul says? You know what? They're still preaching the gospel. The Holy Spirit is still active. He says, so whether they do it in pretense or in truth, I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. Don't you love that? How can you not be inspired by that kind of leadership? How could, imagine getting a letter like that. If you were the church leaders, how inspiring that is. You're in the midst of the conflict too. You're in a partnership. It's not the gifted guys. That's that's not the way the church works. The church works with ordinary people that he gives gifts to and makes them extraordinary. But he doesn't give them all the gifts. He gives certain people gifts And when we put all those gifts together, our church truly is extraordinary. And it gives us the ability to rejoice together in the things that we do that are successful. Thank you, brother. Brother Greg got us a new steeple on. I don't know if you noticed this shipwreck steeple in here that didn't come from a ghost ship. We got a new steeple. It was a lot of hard work. But we got it done. We rejoice when primarily Greg did all the work. (laughs) 
But isn't that the way it's supposed to work? Sometimes Greg's not doing work, sometimes it's somebody else, right? But the point I'm making is we're, we're in a partnership together to advance the gospel. We need to be enjoying each other. We need to be rejoicing. But there's something else we need to do. We need to strengthen the body. And I think that's what that partnership does. We see that throughout the entire book of Philippians. We see it in, in, in number one, too. The spirit-filled prayers of the saints fill our souls with hope and courage. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 in verse 20, it says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. I think it's very interesting. Paul takes a situation where his life is at risk and he's thankful for the prayers of the saints. He says, what you're doing for me, giving for my physical needs, praying for me, I'm confident God is is at work and it's it's gonna move forward for his glory. Paul later on says, brings, he kind of gets into this concept of Oh, wait, let me get to that. So the the next thing I want to share was that the love of Christ constrains us to bless his church and glorify his name. And in verse 20b through 26, Paul goes into a section here where he has to talk about his death. That doesn't sound very inspiring. I know we've had this inspiring sermon so far, but I'd like to talk to you about my death. But he doesn't really catch it that way, does he? He's not not in despondent. He believes he's going to get out of prison and be free of all this. But he wants to make a point because he's he's not being a seer here in his confidence. It's not wrong to be confident about the future. I know sometimes we want to layer, 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 like, like almost we're jinxing ourselves with God if we have confidence in him. Don't don't feel that way. We can be confident, but follow up with God may have other plans. That's why Paul urges people to say, God willing, we live, right? God willing. So that's basically what he's doing here. He's saying, I'd really rather go to heaven. This would be really, this would be great. I'm in prison right now. And I've, I've been on missionary journeys. I've been shipwrecked, beaten, stoned, all kinds of bad things happen. And if this ends up me going to heaven, that's a good thing. As a matter of fact, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's not in, the, in despair. He's living in the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And that if he dies... He's going to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But then he has another comment in that passage, and he says, to continue with you all, or continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul realizes, look, it's better for me to go to heaven. I've run a really difficult race here, and I, I can't wait to see my Lord. But he says, it's necessary that I be here. This is an important part of the passage. Now, there's some great quotes in there, and a lot of times sermons focus around those great quotes. But look at the meat behind this. Paul is really saying this. I'm going to lay aside what would be good for me 
because I want to do what's best for you. I want to do what's best for the church. Churches that function the best are churches where their partnership takes into consideration the needs of other people. I think it is a scourge on our nation that our churches went through an era where they couldn't build facilities and services for people's convenience and almost like a shopping mall kind of euphoria. Kind of started in the 90s and it went for a long time. And I'm glad to see that that is, that is, not, that is becoming less and less of an emphasis on Bible-believing churches. And I'm not being critical of our churches. I attended churches where we had a glorious-sized gymnasium. And we used it, and we used it for ministry, and it was great. But at the end of the day, we really don't come here for ourselves. We do come here to worship. We want the blessings of the Lord, but we are a partnership, and we have a ministry, and that ministry is to each other. I think that's what makes our church very unique. When people walk in the doors, it's certainly not how wide our church is. <laughs> We're talking about our space issue. I think it's because of the people that are here that genuinely love people. When they come in the door, it comes off as genuine because it actually is. Paul's understanding that to go on to heaven would be better, but his work demanded that he stay there and minister to the Philippians and the other churches. That's a blessing. You need to pray for your pastors. So that's a heavy burden. And sometimes that weight just feels like, would it be easier if I just didn't do this? Sure, but that's not what's needed. What's needed is that we minister to God's saints. And in return, we need you to minister to us. It's a partnership. And the partnership strengthens the body. That's what it's designed to do. Our gospel witness is a constant reminder of our manner of life, who we represent, and what will be the outcome of our conflict with this world system. This is in verses 27 and 30. I'd like to read that in, as we kind of get to it, come to a close because this was not read uh, previously. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. I love that, that passage. Standing firm together. Together. We're in this together. The partnership of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a cause for rejoicing. We're supernaturally united with Christ. Can't be undone. And God is building his saints and maturing us in the faith every day. It's also this partnership advances the gospel. It's our mission. It's what we're here to do. Everything else is secondary. The primary thing is forward the mission. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples. 
And the third thing is to strengthen the body because in the course of the fight, we can get wounded. Sometimes we can accidentally shoot somebody in the foot with an arrow. We need to be a body of people that love one another and are genuinely open and kind to each other and accept each other where they are spiritually and that God is working on them. And what is the saying? Uh, It's a great mercy to overlook a sin, right? It's great to overlook an offense. We live in a world that is hyper-trigger. They're just so hyper on offense. Everything offends them. They're looking for new things to offend themselves with. That's not the church. God has put us together to strengthen each other, not tear us apart. And we need to remember that, that the world is a hostile to the mission that we have, and they're hostile to the spirit that we have with each other. They hate the unity we have in Christ because it conflicts with their message of division. So, I hope that was an encouragement to you today. Philippians is a wonderful book. I encourage you to read it and read it real slow because there's some great messages. It's like a letter to somebody about specific things, but there's, there's certain truths he's communicating in there that are so relevant to us today. And I know that are going to continue to be a blessing to you. We're going to, let's have a word of prayer together. And then we're going to move into the phase of, of our service where we partake of the Lord's table. Our Father, we're thankful that you love us. Thank you for having mercy on us as sinners and saving us and not leaving us alone in this life, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us the word. You've given us the church as a means to carry forward the mission that you've given us and also, Lord, to to strengthen and build each other up. Help us to rejoice in this. Help us to consider the manner of life we're living. Is this manner of life consistent. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take account. Lord, help us to take inventory of of whether our life indeed matches up with who you are and the mission you've called us to. Help us to apply these truths, Lord, as it relates to how we treat one another and how we prioritize events. We're united together. It's a time to rejoice. Help us, Lord, to advance the mission together. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.